gonna fall over. This uh, for everybody listening at home, my setup. First, first of all, Matt Goralski, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Did uh, I pro- did I pronounce it right? Yeah, yeah, you're one of the rare ones. This, this is very exciting. Uh, yeah, I. God damn it! All this audio is gonna be so ruined because I'm trying to. You really adjust. MacGyvered this, man. Yeah, I know. I I put for everybody who's listening from home, which is all of you. Uh. I have a chair that I put all my equipment on. Is all this duct tape necessary? <laughs> oh well, God. only because the rubber bands don't always work. Oh, dude, that you got to get the the big thick ones. It's <laughs> the secret. I like a th- the, the the term thick rubber band sounds I'm somehow curiously aroused by that term. Really? It's probably the the thick part. <laughs> the um so uh Matt Grouse, welcome to the podcast. Uh Thank we you. were we're kind of just talking shop here about audio and visual equipment and oh, stuff. Oh yeah, big nerds. Uh, the we were just talking about how most people in the comedy scene kind of hate. Uh, they don't hate. I shouldn't say hate's a strong word, but they just don't understand uh, a lot of that equipment stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't. I mean, it takes. You gotta have like a research bone because like it's not. It exciting. takes a long time to start getting into. Yeah, you know what it is is like you know we all grew up like watching like sketches or movies and stuff that we love so much and it's like you know you live in this world of like i want to create those things i want to create those things but like the sad reality is like you have to know uh how to rig a mic to make yeah. those things you have to know how to film a thing yeah you yeah. have to actually there's a it, it, it's a technical requirement it's boring and it's it so sucks. boring and it's awful because it, when you get it wrong like just shooting on the camera is interesting because if you i ha- i mean i use the canon 80 d mm-hmm. which is awesome and part of the reason i bought it is it is great for Canon ADD. How AD, does that thing focus? ADD. It focuses amazingly. ADD. Ah, uh, I get it. Yeah. Okay, got it. Come I was, on, but, man. Th- I know that was. I totally <laughs> missed that because my brain's in like I'm like oh jargon mode. Actually, it has a dual pixel autofocus, which is unique to Canon cameras. Like <laughs> oh okay. AD eight zero D is the is the camera. Anyway, uh. But that camera has an amazingly powerful sort of auto setting. So, mm-hmm. like, it's great because if you're filming comedy sets or whatever, mm-hmm. you just turn it on and put it on, you know, and it does everything for you, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the problem is, like, if you shoot anything, you're trying to make, like, a sketch mm-hmm. and you're trying to cut between different camera angles, you're trying to have, like, some consistency um, of, like, the look or whatever, it becomes, like, impossible because mm. I have to do so much work from, like, frame to frame to make sure that, like, a- each of these two different angles yeah. that I had to shoot independently of one another, like, looks like it's the same, mm-hmm. in the, even in the same location. And that that shit is the part that it's, like, you have to be a real nerd at some level to actually like that. Yeah. Because I hate it, and I right. it would just do it because I kind of have to. Exactly. I mean, that's kind of what drives me in, like, any level of, like, getting... Uh something filmed or something recorded is like i i really just think about the the end goal like i can't get in my my desire to want a good thing kind of overrides my boredom with learning yeah. how to do this we're trying to have to do the minutia of, yeah of actually doing it yeah Ugh, it's the worst yeah uh i've been wanting to have you on the pod for a little while because i had tucker on here months ago now my main man yeah and he was talking about he was like the kid he was like the kid matt Kralski. dude everyone is the kid to tucker i don't think he understands devaluation <laughs> you know a nickname is not cool <laughs> if, if everyone it. is yeah the currency the exchange rate of that nickname has gone down yeah <laughs> precipitously uh-huh. because tucker's just dropping it left and right yeah well i'm glad to be one of the kids <laughs> yeah. the kid the man the guy mm-hmm. like he just was saying all that stuff. I would listen to that guy talk. I, he needs a radio show. He really does. I, he had a short-lived little podcast called, 
uh, I think what was Duck Fight? I think I enjoyed it. He only he only put out a few episodes, but you know it's hard to especially I can't even imagine it's a one person podcast having like the the chutzpah to keep going with it. Oh man! <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean that's basically what mine is. <laughs> well, I, I mean, but you have guests. You well, know. I have guests now. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it started as more like a Bill Burr. I was ranting. Ranting. Basically, what would you rant on? Just anything, man. And what, I would who go. Your victims. I would go nonstop for. 45 minutes to Jeez, an hour man. without barely taking a breath in this thing. Oh, man. And I would talk about, I mean, it was like to off the dome, dude. It was just mm-hmm. like the just whatever free associative thoughts I had that, you know, would come to the top of my mind. I'm sure I said things on that pot in those early episodes that pr- probably will later prevent me from holding <laughs> public office. But <laughs> it was it was actually kind of like a relief and kind of fun because you can... I just was I got some ideas for bits out of it and sure. stuff like that but yeah. but yeah I moved into interviewing people because mm-hmm. uh it's easier it's also fun to connect with dynamic, people dynamic yeah yeah I get that but yeah. I wanted to have you in here since that I talked with him about that because I really like that untucked Thanks, and man. uh I know you guys have another episode that's coming out at some point mm-hmm. I think that you've been working on for like months Oh yeah exactly well you know it's like uh I don't know it's it's like our it's our brainchild of two idiots and we uh as like loose as the show is we do put a lot of work into it and like like it uh it's tough we'll like we'll film stuff and then just not ever use it yeah we'll be like ah that wasn't it we weren't feeling it that day well yeah like that's what he was telling me is he was like you guys will shoot like he's like we shoot like 40 hours of like and and he was like and then matt does all the editing and he does all the mixing for like the audio Mm -hmm. and I was like, Jesus Christ. And and the the thing that I guess really struck me about it is one, how naturally of a format that is for Tucker Brookshire to yeah, <laughs> to inhabit. Weird. It's mm-hmm. so, it's so weird, man. Like mm-hmm. he the perfect show for him if he was gonna play a character on a show would be he would have to play one of the main characters on a comedy show that focused on uh focused on um Oh, shit, what are those people? Uh, they work on airlines. What am I talking about? Uh, like a, a, a stewardess, right? Yeah, like a yeah. Yeah, he, I could like see him. He could probably do a mean safety uh, uh, lesson or whatever oh, they do. Dude, he would be that. Yeah. I would watch that every episode of that show. He he's a guy that would be excited about a vest, like a, a an air vest. Oh yeah, he would be wearing a yeah. He would be dressed up yeah. with the in the whole. He'd be like, this is fresh. Yeah, this exactly. This is clean, kid. And then his response to people talking to him on the plane, he mm-hmm. just wouldn't give a shit. Yeah. And like that's, <laughs> I uh-huh. would watch every episode mm-hmm. of that show. Yeah. He'd be doing shots with the you know person in ILF. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Tucker, I mean, like it, it was just kind of a random thing. Like he was telling me about how he liked like clothes and I was going through like a real big like, uh, you know, you, you hear about all these people like, just go do it, go make a thing, go just go start doing. I think like Duplass is big on that. Yeah. And um, I was just like, fuck it. Oh, t-. and uh, not just Duplass, but um, Chicago's own home homeboy, uh, the guy who does Easy. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, don't, I haven't even watched Easy. God, I'm like the I worst. I'm having the worst brain farts right now. Uh-huh. I couldn't even it remember. It smells horrible in here. The fucking. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to keep doing that. I'm sorry. Just you're on top of it man i'm not i wasn't ready for this i won't <laughs> yeah. wait until this beer kicks in and then oh, maybe i'll then yeah. i'll be in a real liminal space oh boy I'm uh, excited. yeah uh, i couldn't remember the fucking name for the you know flight attendant that was what i was trying to say uh-huh flight attendant yeah uh-huh. that's the politically correct term now is it oh yeah, yeah stewardess i guess say is steward kind of gendered stewardess. And, yeah. yeah all right well i tell the flight attendants I I do you have a big uh 
a mile high like listenership or yeah i this podcast is mostly listened to if you, if you look at the breakdown on soundcloud it's mostly listened to above ten thousand feet of oh, elevation yeah. well sean shellhammer if you're listening captain <laughs> uh i salute you wait is he uh there's no is he a pilot he's a pilot are dude. you fucking kidding me yeah yeah, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that. That's so terrifying. Yeah. Sean Shellhammer is a is a, a true blue pilot. He's uh, dude. That is a guy. That is so funny. Yeah. Oh my god. I I guess I kind of see it now. Mm-hmm. That's for all these. Li- this is I have a listenership outside of Chicago, so that's a Chicago comedian who is absolutely on the spectrum. And <laughs> and uh, I don't think he would even bother him if I said that. No, and, I mean uh, he's perfect for the job. He loves he loves planes and he loves numbers. You know, being on the spectrum has gotten him the job. I wow. think. Like, Where, yeah. what, what what airline does he fly for? I don't know. I gotta message him. Yeah, that's amazing. I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, I, well, I think he's like training or something. Got it. He yeah. um, he said one of the funniest things to me. I I forget what I, where this happened. It was at Harrigan's. I mm-hmm. I think I bombed on a set or whatever, and uh, I got, I got off stage and I yelled at the audience and then I got off stage, and uh, I was like, man, I'm really developing a reputation for yelling at audiences <laughs> and then sean was like brendan lemon chicago's premiere yell at the audience comic <laughs> <laughs> that's him man <laughs> yeah and i was like that really sums it up yep mm-hmm. yeah i mean you hit a point where you just gotta start yelling at people right like <laughs> i kind of like I, I i think i moved past it i uh i was just so frustrated because i was like this shit is funny god damn it mm-hmm. i did this in you know wherever the other day and it worked mm-hmm. and it's worked for weeks yeah and you guys are just blinking at me yeah yeah, I mean, it's hard to, well, I mean, you know, especially, like, if you get into, like, you know, we're talking about, like, equipment and stuff, like, if you get into a more, like, scientific thing, you know, you start learning, like, details and equipment and stuff, when you, like, dip back into, like, stand-up, too, it's hard to juggle those two worlds, because stand-up is so, uh, it, it, it's, it's fluid, it's like, you, there's, you can never pinpoint shit. Where the other side of the world, like producing and making stuff, is kind of you have to pinpoint stuff. Oh, you're trying t- to juggle. Totally can. Yeah, you can yeah. totally pinpoint stuff. But also in the world of production, things make sense. Yeah. Like if you solve a problem, it stays solved. Uh-huh. Like I know how to transfer audio from this uh, Zoom H5 that I'm recording this on to my computer. And I only had to solve that problem one time. Yeah. I, I didn't know how to do it, and then I knew how to do it, mm-hmm. and that was it. Yeah. And then and now I, it stays solved. Yeah. But on stage, you can do the same things in the mm-hmm. same order in the same way, yeah. and it never will work again. Exactly. Yeah. You catch lightning in a bottle like every once in a while, and it's amazing. And then <laughs> the worst thing you could do is try to catch it again. Yeah. I mean, you got to try. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's the whole, and it's insane because it, it, it's 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 a total. Uh, I mean, I think it's the definition of insanity, which is you're trying oh. to do the same thing twice and ex- expect. Right. Except in this case, you're trying to expect the same result. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is. It's just never going to happen. Yeah. I want to get back. Let's get back oh, to. Oh yeah, sorry. I keep going stuff, off though. topic. So like, no, I just wanted to. So you got you. you did you get into filming and pr- I would say production? like before stand up or did you? Is that one of the things that carried you into the world or or how did you get involved with? you know with which came first i guess yeah sure so like i remember growing up i had a a a friend like when i was like maybe in middle school who like had a camera which was like an odd thing because all my friends you know like ipads and or not ipads like ipods and yeah i didn't know anybody that was like into like filming stuff until i met this kid and he would like make these like dumb little videos but i was like blown away by someone making you know videos and movies like little movies just around the neighborhood and stuff 
and that kind of sparked my interest. We would do like little things. And then um, in college, I had a, a a roommate who, you know, we were like the classic, like going to go to college and write sketches and, <laughs> yeah. you know, make stuff. Where'd you go and, to school? Uh, Florida State. Got it. Yeah. And um, FSU? FSU. Damn, dude. Mm-hmm. Was Tebow going there when you went? Yeah. Oh, shit. Um, and then we had, uh, who's the guy that stole the crabs? Uh, what's that guy? I don't know. If it, if it comes to me, I'll bring it up. But Tebow, yeah. Tebow is a big deal. Tebow, I, I, was well, living I think in, that was a gator. Oh, uh, yeah. Was he not FSU? No, no I think he you're was right. a gator. He was a gator. We had, <laughs> I don't know shit about sports, had, man. Yeah, me neither, dude. I, it was weird going to a sports-heavy school for that reason, because it's just like you're expected to know what's going on with the team. Nope. Yep, not happening. But, um, yeah, so anyways, I... Uh, I I like dabble in making little videos, and I had a friend Bryant who who made videos, and then I took a media techniques class, kind of as like a I just oh, I need the credit, so I took it, and we got these like little like video projects for homework, and for the first time in my life, I'm like a terrible student. I was like putting extra effort into like wow, I want to make this like cool, <laughs> wow. and I got like, you know why why did you want to make it cool? I don't know. It was like this drive like. To, I'd, I'd never had homework assignments like that where where was, you were like suddenly like I want to make this good yeah where they're like hey go make this thing you know and you can do whatever you want just make sure you hit these points yeah you know get this shot get that shot and I was like oh fuck that's amazing that's cool you know because I I you know at the time I was like studying like pre-med stuff so to have like a creative class really like was something different and exciting so I put a lot of effort into it and um, I had a lot of fun doing it um and so I made like little videos like that. And then I kind of put the camera down, I guess, uh, focused on standup for a couple years and moved here. And then. So you were doing standup in Florida. Yeah. That's where I started. Um, when I graduated in Tallahassee in Florida, uh, Florida state, I did. What happened? I, I think I had like one term left. I started doing standup and then I stuck around. In Tallahassee. Where did you do standup in Tallahassee? I, I did, I'm not even aware that there was a club or anything. Oh there. dude, there's, two or three shows and like a few open mics so it's like a tiny little scene yeah uh really it was like a nice place to get my feet wet a uh-huh. little bit in it um, like a hurricane joke or something <laughs> basically right um <laughs> yeah it uh i don't know it was a uh, it's kind of a the talent was interesting there it's fat i bet it was yeah. uh i bet that's a that's the a euphemism if i've ever heard one um yeah. I have a really good buddy of mine who I went to high school with who lives in Tallahassee, mm-hmm. and I should probably message him to see if I can crash on his couch. I think he owns a he either owns a strip club or he owns a bar that has go-go dancers. Amazing. Yeah, and yeah. which feels like a very Florida thing to me. Oh, yeah. Like, in Florida, that feels like big-time success. Yeah. Especially in Florida's panhandle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always like... I call that the scrotum area of Florida. It really it's is right a scrotum. Up. It is. Um, It's a good place to... I always tell people, like... If you want to just check out, if you want to just like uh, get like you know like a decent paying job or like you know some some kind of trade or you know, basic skill set and go live somewhere and just have a, like a, a pretty chill existence, Tallahassee's awesome. Yeah, it's like if you're just checking out, you're retiring it in your in yeah. your in your probably late thirties. Yeah, don't if really you, give a shit anymore. Yeah, if you make like high five figures, like you can live a very very nice life there. Nice, like good land, uh, good weather. You know, there's a decent economy from the sports there. Yeah, um, but yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah. So uh, did stand up there and then. Moved back to South Florida where I'm from originally. So where I didn't know you were from South Florida. Where are you yeah. from in South Florida? Uh, Fort Lauderdale. 
Oh, I was just there. Uh, yeah, yeah, we two were, weeks ago. Yeah, yeah where, what ago. part? You were just like in Fort Lauderdale. Fort yeah, Lauderdale? I was staying uh, near um, uh, Broward uh, Health Center area. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, that's like a referenceable location. Yeah, my mom used to work there. Oh, that's so yeah. cool. people like know. Even while I was in. Fort Lauderdale, people were like, where are you staying? And I'm like, uh, I guess I'm near the Broward Health Center. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, I know where that is. Yeah, yeah. Like, people, apparently, because it's on the A1A or, mm-hmm. like, right around it. Right, right. And uh, I was down there for probably four days, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting place. Like, it's... It's a- so very... Fort Lauderdale is very weird. Mm-hmm. Like, it's yeah. a... It, it's not Miami, mm-hmm. uh, which is where all the more it feels like money is oh, and like sure. way more prestige is yeah. like miami um but it's not also like north of fort lauderdale is uh palm uh palm beach palm beach yeah. which also is kind of like a more mm-hmm. so fort lauderdale feels like a place that like normal people live yeah it's a, definitely like a suburb vibe kind of like I, I like i can imagine like naperville is something like fort lauderdale that's not a bad yeah that's actually not a bad comparison yeah it's a little bit like the naperville of, of mm-hmm. florida yeah or but it's kind of like weird because it's it's super humid super hot mm-hmm. like it just feels like i was uncomfortable the whole time like yeah. all my clothes stuck all right. the time yeah i just can't imagine anybody ever getting used to that. no no i mean whenever i get the classic like oh why'd you move here to chicago you know like it really, I will take the coldest day here over just constant, unescapable, like just sweat and heat, and it fries your brain up, man. Like you can't think right. Like my thoughts got clearer when I moved here. Oh my! I and believe I swear it. by that. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. There's like studies that show that people who live in in more temperate and like cooler climates actually uh-huh. are more productive overall in their oh, lives. Oh yeah, I believe it, man. Like I mean, like even like. I think everyone in Florida is in some stage of like heat stroke, like like there's like altered <laughs> mental status. Like I just, just I was staying at this like Airbnb and I, I was walking back from I got into town. <laughs> I mean, it fucked with my head too. I left my I, I took a jacket with me and left it in the Uber when oh, I got there. Classic. Yeah, I know. And uh, I got to the. I got to my Airbnb, mm-hmm. um, which looks like a, looked like a murder house. It really looked like it. It did not look like the photo. I mean, it was at night that I got there. It uh-huh. didn't look a thing like the photos. There's no light on the whole house, uh-huh. which felt very Florida-ish to me. Yeah. Like there's just no light. There's no porch light. There's mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah. Like you're either gonna get killed or not. Well, exactly. We'll see what what happens. That's the Florida rush. <laughs> you never know what's gonna happen, man. Is this tonight? Is it? The, is it gonna is happen? It gonna happen Am I done tonight? Yeah. Uh, and it didn't, this is part of the reason why Fort Lauderdale like didn't make sense to me because mm-hmm. I'm staying in this like n- fucking Airbnb murder house and next door is another murder house. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both one story. They're ranch houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have no, I mean, there's no garages. There's all car carports and then yeah. car and then street parking, which was also kind of weird. Yeah. No yards in either, mm-hmm. any of these houses. That's odd. That's pretty city like for. Yeah. For I mean, well, like they were. Uh, yard is a strong word like when i think of a suburb or i think of like even in chicago mm-hmm. there's like a small like here's the lawn yeah but in each one of these places it was like it's right up almost on the street mm-hmm. and there's like a gravel area mm-hmm. and then maybe a tree but there's no like mowable like there's no space that you could occupy i'm getting homesick man even- <laughs> I like, could see it. <laughs> like even in the city of Chicago, I could go out in front of my house here mm-hmm. and put out a chair and sit yeah, there. Right. There was no space to do that mm-hmm. in this place, and I was like, oh, I don't understand what's supposed to happen in this, you know, six 
foot by four foot area. Nah, man, you, you stay in your apartment and you peer out the window. That's like, exactly. Between the blinds, that's, that's your lawn. <laughs> and then like every single house, all you heard. So like these two, let me finish my thought. So these two murder houses are next to each other. Across the street looks like a kind of motel maybe, but mm-hmm. it's like one story and it goes back into the side and there's maybe four people, four different apartments. It's hard to tell. So I'm like, am I? is this a residential zone? Is mm-hmm. this a commercial zone? And then next door to the murder to the murder house I'm next door to, on the other side is a fuck, what looks like a fucking five-star, unbelievable like boutique hotel. Yeah. And then next door to that is like this great condo, and then next door to that is another murder house. Yeah, that <laughs> if you could paint a picture of Florida, that you just did. Like it, like wealth distribution there is so bipolar. Like it is very. You, there's poor or rich, and then every once in a while, a little bit of we got both. You know, like it just made no sense. Like mm-hmm. in the, in front of the hotel, uh, rich condo, whatever it was. There was a sidewalk, mm-hmm. but no, there was the sidewalk was only for the hundred feet that yeah. that, <laughs> that those mm-hmm. buildings occupied, and yeah. then there was no other sidewalk. Yeah, love it. It's amazing. <laughs> Got to move back. So I get into town. I just <laughs> relate this story to you briefly. I say it's like twenty minutes later. We're still talking about it, but I get into town. I put my things in the murder house. Uh, the guy who was the host dr- greets me at the door. His name's Pedro, <laughs> and. He takes me into the living room space, which is like the main room in this place. Yeah. Zero furniture. It's literally, it's an open room, a rug in the floor, and one light in the corner. Nice. And then I walk to the left, and there's two rooms, and my name is on the door of one of the rooms. And I open it up, and it's a room with a bed and an ottoman, and that was it. And then he had an AC unit on the wall. Wow. I never saw this guy again the whole time I was staying there. Well, Pedro's a minimalist, <laughs> yeah. you know? He doesn't He's, need a lot to live. Yeah. I think we can all learn something. I respect of life, yeah. his life philosophy. I mm-hmm. think he had probably just gotten rid of all the furniture after he murdered someone. Yeah, probably. I mean, smart. Very smart. smart. You guy. learned those skills growing up there. That's true. I, yeah. <laughs> I could hide a body. Five minutes, <laughs> gone. Yeah, well, just yeah. in the Everglades? No, nah, I mean, you know, if, you, if you're like first time, you do it in the Everglades. But I don't know, if you get good, you know what to do, you know? <laughs> I don't even know if I want to dive into that. Where no. would you want to put your body? Yeah, it's all right. We don't got to talk about it. All right, so I go, so I leave. I'm like, hey, is there a place to eat around here? And he's yeah. like, yeah, there's a Jimmy John's around the corner. Like, it's, it's right there. Uh-huh. It's like not not even very far. You can walk there. And walk there and not very far in Fort Lauderdale means it's like a 20-minute walk down yep. the road. Mm-hmm. And which, so it was. It was a 20-minute walk down the road. 100 degrees. 100 degrees. Sun's down. 95 degrees. 90% humidity. Yeah. So I'm walking and I'm just pouring. I'm just immediately pouring sweat. Mm-hmm. Every single building I pass, all the windows are just condensation all over them. Mm-hmm. It's like the buildings are weeping, probably because they're they re- <laughs> in they're realizing they're in Florida. <laughs> and I I walk all the way to this place and I get there and they're 30 minutes before they close mm-hmm. and they're already closing. Like, yep. <laughs> and I walk in, no one says anything to me. Yeah, and I go, hey, are you guys? Is it too late for me to get a sandwich? And this guy looks up at me and he goes. <sighs> no, it's not too late. And I was like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> can yeah. I do anyone or not? No. That, so what? I bought a sandwich that was already ready made. Oh, like ready to go. <laughs> I didn't know they did that. I, they do now, I guess, at Jimmy John's. <laughs> or maybe they anticipated me. Yeah, some asshole coming. You know, some motherfuckers. You don't go up. into a restaurant an hour before it closes. No, but it's not a restaurant. It's a Jimmy John's. It's a re- man. You, I can't <laughs> it's believe a you right restaurant. now. I get it. Yeah. You got to use that term when you're, Mm -hmm. you know. Anyway, 
I get this thing. I'm walking home. I pass a Walgreens, and I'm like, I can't take this city sober. So I walked into the Walgreens, and I bought a bottle of rosé wine, barefoot rosé, mm-hmm. which I had reached, you know, I had reached poor white woman levels of needing mm-hmm. alcohol. Nice. Anyway, the whole punchline of this story is I'm finally wandering back, sweat pouring off of me, sweat pouring off the bottle, the sandwich melting in my hand. Um, and I pass this dude who looks like he's coming back from work maybe at a, like a mechanic's job, and he's got on black, all black long sleeve shirt, black pants, mm-hmm. black boots, black hat. And he like looks up at me as I'm walking past him, and he goes, you good? And I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, what the fuck am I? And I just said, yeah. And then he just went, all right, and then kept walking. And I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? I must look insane, or like I yeah. don't know, or like does he look insane? This yeah. whole thing doesn't make sense to me. You're sweating. You're out of breath. I should have been rose. like, I'm not good. I'm in fucking Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, he'd been like, yeah, man. I Get know. me out of here. Like, I can't. I can't, man. I got too. <laughs> you're here forever now. Busy hiding a body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably what he was doing. He's probably doing it in the dumpster. That's like a two, three year move, you know. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, uh, so that's South Florida. Anyway, yeah. you're from there. Yeah, man. So you could, that kind of paints a lot of my life. Oh. <laughs> I don't, like uh, Florida, like the, the f- I know like it's pretty common to have the uh, uh, gotta escape motive in life, sure. you know, especially if you grew up in like a suburb, but like it's very strong in Florida. Like that is a common uh, like goal for most people. It's I'd just say. like get the fuck out. Yeah. 50 to 60% of the youth there are trying to like not be in Florida anymore. Why was it, so what? I mean, there has to be like a drain going on, right? Like people have to be moving out of that state. Yeah, I mean, I even here in Chicago, like I'd say I meet uh maybe like every other week I'll meet like two or three Floridians, you know? Cuz uh Chicago, I guess, is also one of the bigger cities right now for transplants, but yeah, I mean, it's uh it's kind of a div- it's not an established place. So, there is culture growing, but it's not established Mm. you can't go there and get the culture you gotta like be a part of building it a little bit got it yeah and um if you're trying to be somewhere to like learn how to be creative or be in a creative world that's already in the works or or already in motion you gotta go to like you know chicago new york la yeah denver you know but florida is still like really figuring itself out i mean it was a retirement destination for so long yeah it's a place where people go when they're done kind of being creative done, and figuring done, being, done living yeah. yeah so you know you have all the the sons and daughters of those people and generation after that just trying to figure it all out yeah you know um like even my parents like um neither of them it, i mean it could just be the circle of friends i knew from them there wasn't a lot of like aspirations of trying to like do you know be something i i gather from their generation where yeah. you know our generation everyone's yeah Trying you know, to do something. Yeah, trying to be an actor. Yeah, I, it's funny because I feel the same way about my parents in, in Michigan. And it's and for a while, it's weird, dude, because uh, for a while, when I first moved out of Michigan, I moved to Colorado. Mm-hmm. And every third person I met in Colorado was from Michigan. Really? Yeah, so it was almost similar. But I don't know. I was going to ask you this. Do, do you have, when you meet another Floridian, do you feel like, oh, fuck yeah, like Florida Pride or like anything like that? Or do you guys just go like, oh, yeah, we're both. There's kind of a we got out feeling. <laughs> no lie. Yeah. Interesting. Because the thing that I that is interesting about Michigan is I definitely felt feel a, a kind of camaraderie with other people from Michigan. Not necessarily, not in Chicago, but when I was in you know Colorado yeah and or when I would meet a person from especially if I meet somebody from Metro Detroit 
still, even in Chicago, I feel that kind of like camaraderie. But there was kind of a feeling of like, yeah, yeah, man, like we fuck yeah like we love michigan so much we just wish we could be there because Mm -hmm. everything blows and the economy sucks and like (laughs) there's no opportunity and you can't do anything you want to do mostly Mm -hmm. so like but do you feel like a love for florida or do you feel like yeah i'm just happy i got out i don't know man i love the people that i grew up with and my family but the place is uh, i'm happy i'm not there yeah I, i i didn't meet i think i didn't meet a single Aside from a handful of people, I don't think I met a single really... The predominant number of people I met when I was down there were all non-American of birth. They were Mm. all immigrants. Yeah. I want to point out that's not why I don't like Florida. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's why I don't like Florida. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Yeah, no. It just was interesting to me that there were so many... Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, there's a lot of people who are who have moved here yeah i mean it's definitely yeah it's an interesting i mean you grow up with a lot of spanish culture in your life a lot of caribbean culture yeah caribbean culture lots of haitian um, yeah haitian yeah there seemed to be a a heck of a lot of Mm -hmm. a lot of uh yeah dominican like there was just a yeah you know a lot of that around there yeah i mean it's a proximity thing i mean it's like you know very accessible to south america and uh you know cuba and puerto rico and um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that move there and, you know, I talk about the culture developing and it's definitely a very Latin culture down there. Um, which is, uh, interesting I mean, as someone that grew up there and then moving to the Midwest of all places, yeah, it's like, well, there's kind of devoid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to go to, you know, West town or, mm-hmm. or, uh, Pilsen. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it was super interesting growing up. I mean, like, you, you're expected to know a fair amount of Spanish just existing uh, down there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I worked in hospitals, uh, growing up and, uh, you know, most of the time I was speaking Spanish. It's a, yeah. That's fascinating in the hospital. Yeah. I'm, you know, I mean, most of the patient base, um, a lot of, uh, older people in the hospital were mostly Spanish speaking. So what, what, so I want to step back kind of yeah. what, what, drives you what what developed the drive in you to want to do a lot of like creative work especially pro- video production and things like this um yeah because what you're doing it's uh, this is interesting to me because from an outside perspective a little bit like one you have a you have a career job you have uh, a day job that's a career job and it sucks yeah <laughs> i mean i just quit mine i have but i have Hell one yeah. too like i have a job that people work really hard to get and i got it mm-hmm. and there's a part of me that the whole time was like i can't fucking stand yeah. this mm-hmm. and Maybe that, in a way, is kind of the tragedy of our generation a little bit. Sure. I don't know, but uh-huh. um, but the what you're doing with the production, you know, at least with with Untucked and other things that I know you're involved with, there those are all require lots of effort. So it's mm-hmm. almost like what do you, where does that come from? Where you're like, I want to do something. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's uh, I I grew up my dad raised me on like all the, you know, the classics, you know, I grew up on like Mel Brooks movies. I grew up, um, watching all the big, you know, just classic. I grew up very artsy, I guess, kind of. Um, but I also had a, a bit of like a, a moral sense of duty to have like a, normal job kind of and it's something i, I struggle with pretty regularly because what do you mean you struggle with it like a large part of me wants to really go renegade and just like say fuck this just quit it yeah, yeah just go crazy fuck this, go 
go hardcore with creative stuff, but it's like I've got like a rational part of my brain that is um, both, I think, helpful as someone trying to be creative, but also it can uh, be debilitating occasionally. Yeah. Where I will be at the cusp of you know, kind of diving off the deep end and being really creative and doing something interesting. But then I kind of curl back from like the risk taking behavior of it. And like, I'm like, ah, maybe I should go back to school. That's interesting. Yeah. I feel so I struggle with that same thing too, a little mm-hmm. bit. Cause part of me, you've seen the movie apocalypse now. Yeah. I've, I've talked about this on the pod before. Uh, so, you know, my listeners are going to be like, what the fuck dude? But I really only hit the same three points every episode. <laughs> but, uh, I feel like I want to, that movie apocalypse now, the, the, the thesis of the movie for me when I watch it is it's like you can't be a fucking tourist. Yeah. Like if you really want to do something, you have to be embedded. You have mm-hmm. to be you have to go over to the dark side. You have right. to go crazy mm-hmm. and live in the jungle and like or whatever it is yeah. metaphorically for you to to actually you know, you have to go into this dark place. Mm-hmm. And and that par- part of me also wants to be like fuck it, I'm going to quit. I'm just yeah. going to I'm done. I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna go th- full bore, and we'll see what happens. Right. I'll just live this crazy life. But then I also have that part of me that's like, nah, that doesn't. That's not how things work out. Yeah, things don't work out for people like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I think uh, being w- aware of death is very important. Um, I mean, I've had a lot of experiences in my life. Yeah, I've been very close to death, and seeing the reality of it, and like like I. I worked for like a year and a half as a transporter in a hospital, like just pushing around patients that are like dead and dying, like people to the morgue, you know, and I had a lot of conversations with people pretty much facing their end. And most of them had a regret for not kind of taking a more uh, uh, like like a strange path or doing something wild or creative with their one life. You know, it's a shame that I think most people you don't, have that realization of this being the one life until you're, you know, mid twenties or a little older, you know, and at that point, you know, that's, you missed out on a couple of years that you could have been developing. Yeah. Doing more. something. Yeah. But it's but funny I because I think I, you know, but I, so what you're talking about, that reminder of death, that me- memento mori or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's called in Latin, it's like a really stoic principle. And it's fascinating to me because I feel like I, also, like my cousin died, and that mm-hmm. uh, threw me kind of into this place for it's really screwed my life up for a while. But I, I had to work through, I think, a lot of shit in my life, mm-hmm. which I'm glad I did because of it. Um, where that's going though is like I ended up afterwards buying a watch uh, that I actually don't have on right now, but it's a watch <laughs> that you send a bunch of information about yourself to this watch company, and then it ticks down the amount of time that you probably have in your life based wow. on their like estimation. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and yeah, it's awesome and terrifying. And it was a big reminder for me that I'm like, fuck, I have to. If I got to do something, I need to fucking do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was, I you know, it was kind of amazing. Right. So that I thought though is also tempered with the idea that it's like you you know you can you can wager everything on something, mm-hmm. and and it can still not work out though. Yeah. Like there's just a lot. So there's you know the kind of life you know you wonder. If one of those old people or someone who's nearing the end of their life, if you had, if they had spent their entire life attempting to do something that would not have worked out for them because of forces outside of their control, would you, if you had gone to them and asked them, would you have traded 
uh, after your best effort, let's say mm-hmm. whatever it is in your mind that comes up as your best effort to do the thing, you can't imagine having done anything else to to to, to you know capture what it was you're trying to get, and it didn't work. Would you have traded the rest of that time for something that was actually kind of comfortable and pleasurable? Mm-hmm. And even though it wasn't you continuing to pursue that thing. Yeah. I think, I wonder if some of them would have been like, actually, yeah, I probably would do that. I mean, I saw, a, I think the, the crux, like the main thing I saw in like my experience with people was the uh, inauthenticity is what breeds that feeling. What do you mean? If you uh, go the straight and narrow path out of some feeling of, uh, you have to do it or it's uh like for the because of my family or because of yeah, my whatever you know and and i'm not even talking about like a stoic sense of duty just maybe like a a nervous sense of duty huh. like oh well that's the right thing to do i better do that's what breeds the uh the the regret i think later in life yeah because i met plenty of people that didn't have like uh, you know a penny to their name they're smiling laughing on their deathbed yeah you know and, and i think it's just about if you can have a life full of uh, times where you're, you're feeling really in the moment, feeling the flow of what you're doing. Yeah. That's a, a culmination of that for 65 to 85 years. That probably leads to a pretty good life. Yeah. Okay. You know, where, but if it's a lot of time spent like, oh, I should have did this, should have did that, should have yeah. done That's where you end up like, fuck, it's over. I didn't do any of that <laughs> stuff I wanted. <laughs> that blows. Yeah. So I think that's what kind of guides the video part for me yes because you're like i want it well what do you have that you're trying to achieve then do you have like a vision in your head of what you're trying to reach or it'd be cool to have something that uh i could show people one day i don't care you know when when i was younger it was like oh man everyone needs to see this but like i just want to i wanted to have made something meaningful i guess which is a pretty grand thing to say about a, a a you know the stuff i'm I'm doing a documentary about a guy not peeing for 30 days (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and a, a show about a, a crazy redhead guy that likes clothes, you know. But ha- if if you can make something that people enjoy and they laugh at, or uh, you know, even artistically they enjoy, it, they like the editing and stuff. That's a, boom. That's like okay, yeah. cool. I did something. Yeah, yeah. I think because it's it's interesting to talk about this because I think what drives me is the end of the movie Manhattan. Uh-huh. Um, w- w- you know Woody Allen I think that there's a handful of things that specifically he's done um, that the, I think the beginning of the movie Manhattan and the end of the movie where he realizes I would encourage everybody to watch this where he his character in the movie realizes he is this this and it's fucked up because Woody Allen's like you know a fucked up dude <laughs> yeah but like this young woman he's dating who's like 18 or mm-hmm. like 19 in this movie uh is leaving to go to France or Europe for like 2 years or something right and he instantly and he earlier in the movie he was in love with someone else told her she needs to go to Europe because mm-hmm. he was afraid he was going to hurt her feelings by like breaking up with her to date an an older woman played by Diane Keaton mm-hmm. and then he realizes he's like wait I don't want you to go cuz Diane Keaton like breaks up with him yeah uh, so he's trying, he suddenly, she's literally like about to leave and he runs across Manhattan to try to get to, mm-hmm. her, get to her before she leaves to tell her she shouldn't go. Yeah. And there's a moment, there's something about that exact sequence that I'm like, whatever you, whatever that is, I, I just want to create something that makes other people experience the depth and, and richness of feelings 
that go on this in this like crazy three minute amount of time. Yeah. Because you're like feeling so many crazy when you're watching this. You're like, holy shit, right. dude! Like, there's yeah. a lot that's wrapped up in this. Yeah. And uh, and then I think uh, if I could do anything like that, that's what I would want to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just get lost in that aesthetic experience. For sure. Like uh, like as in creating something like that for people. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's big. I mean, our lives are so full of those moments and they're fleeting and they go away so quickly. And then whenever I look at like creatives, especially like producer types, it's like you're people that are like, hey, guys, look at th- look at this. Is anybody even no- like noticing this happening in yeah. front of us? There's an amazing thing happening, which, you know, some might argue, well, you're not enjoying the moment yourself because you're trying to get yeah, everyone to watch to get it. Other people point at it. Yeah. You know, but I, I think it's important, you know. Well, I it, th- it's fascinating to me because I wonder if I'm ever going to sometimes I'm like, am I ever going to fucking do that? Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing is it does require a lot of like resources and like work and yeah. like and a lot of these like Hollywood stories that like I don't know if you listen to any like the producer's guide with Todd Garner or mm-hmm. like any of these other movies or I mean movies podcasts that are about the production of movies. The thing that's very weird about it is you start realizing that's like maybe the aesthetic concern of can we create are we creating something that is really inspiring moments for people when they're watching it is like, I mean, it's like that's the basis of everything they're doing, but mm-hmm. it feels like it's about 15% or at best of the conversation that anybody's having. Yeah. 85% to 90% of the conversation is dominated by logistical concerns mm-hmm. about like, yeah. how are we getting it done? Who's going to buy it? Is it going to make money? Yeah. How do we get the resources to do it? All yeah. of that kind of stuff. Right. You're creating magic in a non-magic world. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's 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 a pain like the the financial thing is like whenever I like I look at like a skyscraper in Chicago, the average like cost to build one of these skyscrapers is like your average like blockbuster movie budget. Oh, yeah. Basically. It's like they built a movie vertically. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> like you know, it's it's wild to think that, you know, like to make anything on a scale you know because that, that's like the dream right is to make like a movie like that like a big movie that everyone sees and it's in theaters and there's it's shot on film not digital you know yeah that costs so much fucking money yeah it's insane and there's so much involved in it and it involves like getting a script like I, I remember reading like one of the things that like killed my my innocence a little bit in this is like i read a, a screenplay guide and they were talking about like the first thing that'll happen when you someone buys your screenplay is they fire you and then just immediately give it to other writers. Oh yeah. And then have them rewrite it. Oh yeah. And then maybe they bring you back. At yeah. The they just like that almost never had like, well screenwriters for movies, no one gives a shit about. Yeah. Like especially mm-hmm. there's like this old Hollywood joke that's supposed to be like, uh, yeah, did you hear that the uh, the actress tried to get a role in the film by sleeping with the screenwriter? Like, <laughs> I was like he has no power to do anything, mm-hmm. which is insane because there's all these like screenwriters that are now super famous in Hollywood, like Aaron Sorkin and yeah. guys like this. But a lot of them came through the world of television, mm-hmm. which is writer driven. Yes. Yeah. So that feels like a major. I mean, like it feels like if someone wants to work in that world. But there's so many people. Like a great example. This is actually the best maybe example of this is the movie Prometheus. Mm. Uh, which was originally written by I. So, did you see Prometheus? No. Okay. So, if anybody's listening and hasn't seen this movie, I encourage you to go see it. Uh, it's bad, and <laughs> I th- I I don't think it's as bad as I hate it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, I think it's sure. better than I hate it. But I can't fucking stand that movie. Okay. I can't stand it, and I saw it in theaters, and the entire time I saw it, I was fuming. I mm. was so angry. Really? Uh, yeah, because I'm a huge fan of the Alien franchise. Sure. And I was like. 
Ridley Scott is back. Like it's yeah. gonna be this is gonna be amazing. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to they're talking about the origin of like the alien spacecraft and all the you know trailer shit for the movie looked amazing. Yeah. Like the images were amazing. The, I was like this is gonna be spectacular. Right. And it was just bad. It just yeah. wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. And I became obsessed with trying to figure out why this movie was so fucking bad. I'm like, how did this happen? Yeah. Like, that's why I went down this insane rabbit hole of like trying to figure out what happened. I'm doing all this online research and everything. And what this basically came down to in my mind was that the original Prometheus script was written by a guy named David Spates. Mm Mm-hmm. And that dude is a great screen. I think he's a really good screenwriter. He's a great science fiction uh-huh. screenwriter. Okay. His original script was really good because I found a copy of it online because <laughs> I think he realized that he was going to get blamed for some of this and sure. he ended up releasing the script. Nice. And it's actually pretty good. But then it got a hold of this guy named Damon Lindelof. And Damon Lindelof. Fucking Lindelof. I don't know. But he was one of the. He eventually took over for J.J. Abrams as showrunner for Lost uh-huh. after it started really sucking ass. Yeah, yeah. And the problem is that Damon Lindelof is not good at making good things. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And consequently, a lot of the shit he introduced to the movie really blows. Wow. That and, sucks. Yeah, well, th- the problem is, it seems to me. Uh, I, this is really going off the rails hard. It seems to me he's very good, if anybody wants to f- check this out, at introducing the promise of things mm-hmm. in films or in trailers, but then never, he can't produce anything that will actually satisfy the promise that he's making. Interesting. Yeah, so imagine it's like, you know, it's it's like a magician yeah. who starts doing this trick and you're like, oh shit, this yeah. is going to be good. Uh-huh. And then the trick he does after like doing all this stuff and, you know, waving things around was like he just makes a coin disappear from his hand. And you're like, what the fuck was that? Like yeah. there was all this theatrics and then nothing good happened. So when I hear that, my mind goes like, all right, well, is this a guy that, is he just suck or does he have... You know, do do does the industry like him because he has his ability to get people in seats? That's what he has. Yeah, uh, but they could probably cut costs on actual production. So later. that's exactly what he has. Yeah. He has the ability to intrigue people enough to go, "Fuck, I need to go see this." Yeah, and then when they go see it, they're like, "Wait, this is not at all what I." <sighs> but that's the entire sucks. industry now. Yeah, it's like it can't. Oh sure. Whether or not you can, I mean, uh, the, the, all of the movies that we like mm-hmm. from the age of people liking movies come from this concept of auteur theory. Yeah, and this idea that somebody has a singular vision and they're trying to tell a story, mm-hmm. and that's what you're producing. But Hollywood today has no interest in any of that shit. No. And then there, there's there's boardrooms of people that have you know spreadsheets. On top of other mm-hmm. spreadsheets, yeah. going like, well, we know these things happen, and here's the qu- you know they yeah. they have a number that they they know that if they hire Damon Lindelof to do X, Y, or Z things, each one of those things he's got a track record of making this kinds of money in. Yeah, and so nobody gives a shit about right. like creative mm-hmm. project stuff. Yeah. So are we the fools then for falling for it every time? I or? don't. I yeah. this, I don't know. You know what I mean? But that's that's part of the thing is I think like well, and do you want to go into that world? Because how do you yeah produce something that's a vision of this? Like how many other painters were like Michelangelo mm-hmm. who could have created a Sistine Chapel mm-hmm. if they had ever had the opportunity to? But how many chapels needed paintings like that? Yeah, you know what I mean. And how many how many people could have afforded? Mm-hmm. making something for someone to have painted. Right. Yeah, I mean everything's data driven right now and it's like like we were saying kind of at the beginning of this is you can't pinpoint the true creativity like that. You know, you can't capture 
you can't try to find the metrics to the lightning in the bottle. Like it just happens. Yeah. You know? There's moments where someone had a real moment and they were able to show it to people and, and give them emotions and feelings about that thing. But uh, trying to predict how to make that happen, you might be able to figure out half of it, but not the rest of it. Yeah. It's funny because there's a, there's a whole, uh, uh, Adam Grant is a guy who wrote a book about this recently. He's a practical psychologist and he uh, he was saying that there's a lot of studies in creativity that are showing now that it's not about qu- quality necessarily; it's quantity. That like sure. a lot of they're like the difference between a Beethoven or a Mozart mm-hmm. um, or a Vivaldi or whatever is that they just produced more work yeah. than everybody else. Oh, sure. And the fact that they produced this larger volume of work by necessity, you know, brought with it the fact that they just produced better work because they're chances of producing better work just went up yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean yeah you clog the channel a bit but then also if you just have a ton of shit chances are you'll i always think that with videos but you know it's so hard to actually make them i'm like ah if we just have like 40 videos and only 10 of them are good at least we got like a shitload of volume out there and then we can you know and then it feeds into itself because you know why those 10 worked and then you could try to you know but then you're starting to think about think like the producers then you bring in david lindelof yeah then you bring you know. in damon lindelof because you're like well the only way i can continue this is if i get a lindelof in the, yeah in this situation the whiz the, whiz. <laughs> the kid the yeah. kid damon lindelof that guy is the kid yeah <laughs> that's so funny man yeah uh we're running up on time here uh what uh what do you got going on matt what's your next what's the project that everybody should keep an eye out for um we probably have some more untucked eventually um I'm working on a uh, mockumentary with Matt Kennedy right now. Uh, it's the one about the guy not peeing for 30 days? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty Kennedy important. Is. Matt Kennedy, he, he's actually not going to pee for 30 days. It's uh, yeah, So um, if you guys uh, just follow that, I have a YouTube channel called uh, Mosey. Um, you can just search that, um, and it's got all the untucked videos. It's got, uh, 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 it's called, uh, the piss documentary is called Holding It In. So <laughs> Jesus Christ. it's got. Whose idea was that? It was Matt Kennedy's, and then uh, we're working together on it. And then, uh, yeah, I got some music videos with some music I made. Um, and then also, if you don't mind me uh, throwing this out there, I'm interested in getting like some PA type people involved because, like we've talked about, it is very hard to actually make this stuff. So um, I don't know. I'm pretty tired dealing with Tucker's ass alone. <laughs> yeah, so if I can get funny. some people to help wrangle that boy. Some, and, some opportunity for Second City interns. Yep. So, uh, yeah, you can always reach out to me. That'd be great. Um, but, yeah, this was a lot of fun, man. Thanks cool, for having dude. me. Cool, dude. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for dropping by, buddy. Oh, yeah. <laughs>